I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on mental health, myths, and realities. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers, Blue Check Verified. And you can catch up on all of our Street Soldiers episodes, both radio and TV, free of charge, on LisaEvers.com. Now, in this episode, we're focusing on mental health myths and realities and giving you what you need to know for yourself or someone close to you before it's too late. We're seeing more hip-hop artists and other celebrities publicly acknowledge mental health issues, and sadly, we're also witnessing the suicide of famous people who seem to have it all. Now, we see people on the streets who are obviously in mental health distress, and we all feel sad or down at different times. That's part of the human experience. But how do we know when it's just a mood or something much more serious that we should pay attention to and get help for? And what can you do if someone close to you is obviously having some kind of issues and you don't need, you don't know what to do to help them? Them. Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is Everett McCain. He's a retired Port Authority Police Department ESU sergeant who was a first responder on many mental health crises and other safety crises. His daughter, Annalise, who was in college, took her life almost six years ago. Now Everett is working to try to educate more people about this crisis that has been growing in recent years. Everett, great to have you with us. And thank you so much for speaking out in, in memory of your daughter. We really appreciate it. Also with us is Dr. Elisa English. She's a clinical therapist and mental health expert. Dr. Elisa, great to have you with us. Thank you. Also with us is Lawrence Hines. He's a mental health advocate. He sought treatment himself for depression. He's also a branding and marketing consultant. He's out there trying to help other people deal with this in a healthy way. Lawrence, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Dr. Lisa, what is mental health? Because we see this term being used now. It's, it's a buzzword almost, like we should be concerned about it. We should be aware of it. What is mental health? Well, it's a set of behaviors and attitude and just overall changes in your mood um, that can be affected by both organic and non-organic factors um, that simply just impede on the quality of your life. It, it affects the quality of, of your life. And so if you see a change in your eating habits or your sleeping habits or you're more isolated or you're alienating yourself from others, um, there may be a reason to then seek some additional support and help. And Lawrence, you tell us what was going on in your life when you decided to seek some kind of help. Uh, so originally I was diagnosed in, uh, when I was 19 years old. I'm currently now 36. And when I was originally diagnosed, I didn't seek help because I grew up in the church where if you were dealing with depression or suicide, it was demonized. So I didn't talk to anybody about it. So I later moved here to New York and um, the suicide adulations became very, very strong. And it was just a point where I said, okay, either I'm going to commit suicide or I'm going to seek help to see what to do. And so what happened, so you, you, you sought help, you started thinking about it more, like ending your life or taking your life when? Uh, so I actually I found myself a couple times uh, standing on the, the subway train station uh, platform and I would, I would actually be rocking, ready to commit suicide and, and sometimes I would come to tears on the, the platform and I was like, okay, I'm at this point where either I'm going to live or I'm going to die and if I'm going to live, let me see, forget about the stigma. Seek help and see will it help. And if it doesn't help, then I'll commit suicide. That was my, that's, that was and my. And that, that was, it. you You kind of reached that point of where it, it can't go on like this. Yeah, it can't go on like this. It's either I need some relief or I'm going to do it. 
And Everett, the uh, and we we appreciate you know our condolences to you and your family. Thank you about about your daughter, your beautiful daughter Annalise, who was, she was in college. Mm -hmm. Um, she was one of these young women who just brings so much joy and seems so happy and doing well in school, and and yet this this happened to you and to to your family and to her. Yes. Was there any was there anything leading up to it that you? Because that's the question people always ask. Like, how do? Because on the outside she's she's there visiting you. She's there, you know. She's with you. She's at school. She's doing well. She's in a sorority. Yeah. You know. Nothing that I can put my finger on I mean there's times when she would call and she'd be upset about something and but m most kids are you know at times she'd right cry on the phone and be upset she talked to me conference call with me and her mother but nothing to this extent you know and all of a sudden you know that was it and you as a as a Port Authority police officer because you you guys work the airports you work the bridges the yeah. tunnels you yourself had had to respond to a lot of people standing on top of that George Washington Bridge or doing other, you know, ready to do other drastic things and actually rescue them. Many times you respond to um, the bridge jumpers or even at an airport, you know, you have somebody who wants to hurt themselves and you try not to let them hurt themselves. So when this happened to you, that must have been? Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a shock. I mean, it's still a shock to this day. I mean, I'm living with it every minute. And it's like, you go, why me, why her? But it's a shock. Dr. Lisa, when you hear, hear the story, and everybody, please feel free to jump in. Yeah, I mean, it's very consistent around, you know, suicide. The fact of the matter is many people who commit suicide aren't necessarily mentally ill. They may be going through episodic or situational depression around a circumstance, trauma, or issue that certainly they're finding it difficult to cope with. And one of the very unhealthy coping strategies that they use is they start to think about suicide. They start to plan and attempt, and in some cases, they finalize it. Um, one of the things we've learned from empirical, empirical data suggests that many people who are at the point of suicide are often trying to stop like in the middle of it like they're really trying to get the fight and flight in us yeah, yeah. makes it that we now want to save our life but you know it's suicide is actually a final solution to a temporary problem which is very um, unfortunate and oftentimes if people who were thinking about um, suicide had just made some healthier choices and perhaps connected with support that situation that in fact, thought it was so too heavy to cope with, mm -hmm. it would also come to pass. So I think it's a, it's a myth that all people who commit suicide were just depressed. Over a period of time. Period of time. Lawrence, take us into your mindset back at that time when you're standing on the edge of the subway platform, ready to end it all. What's going through your mind? Are you feeling like there's no way out? Are you feeling trapped? Help us understand that. Uh, I was actually feeling all that. Uh, I was, uh, it was so much going through my mind at one time, um, the thoughts of jumping, uh, the thoughts of what people would say about me, um, the thought about the dreams that I had, uh, were my dreams just dreams, and, you know, uh, I was put on this earth for, for a reason, and, but it was just, it was just, I was at the point where I was like, because when you, when I was at that moment in my life, it's a mental, it's a emotional, it's a physical pain that, it's hard to really describe. It's just you want it to stop because your mind is going like literally 50 miles an hour. You're thinking about everything, things from childhood, things, things that are going on now, things about your loved ones. Um, 
you feel like like I felt like I would be a burden to people that I love to stay around. Uh, so it was just like, okay, so do like I like a hypersensitivity, like yeah, like a, it's like literally like a hypersensitivity. It's like like your your the feelings in your body are heightened, your mental thoughts, the flashes, like literally, I was having flashes of memories and things about my what I thought my future should be, and that moment, and then also the religious thoughts that weren't helping. It's like, okay, do I want to die? If I die, I'm going to hell. Do I want to go to hell? I don't really go to hell. Uh, so it's like all that going on. Then it's like you just get to a point where you literally feel like you're about to explode mentally. And it's just like, stop. Please stop. You know, and it's like you're, you're talking to your mind saying, stop. Just give me a break. Just let me see clarity just for a moment. And it's in that moment where I was just like, okay, I know this is it. Like I know, you got to make a change, or like else I, it's yeah. It's like it's you like, can't go on. Yeah, you just you just reach the end of the. Dr. Yeah. Lisa, when you hear his story, what do you, what do you think? I think it's important for someone who is experiencing that level of you know um, mental distress should poten potentially seek professional help. Absolutely. You need to have a clinical diagnosis so that you can get the right psychopharmacological intervention in order to help you. That's another myth that people, that medication is out to kill all of us, right? So psychotropic medication, it's not like the buzzword or anything. However, it can be very helpful to stabilize that level of mood disorder um, so that you can live a quality of life or anyone and, and for that matter. So yes, that would require someone to go in to seek help like you would go if you were suffering from high blood pressure or diabetes. So this myth that people have, and, and I'm sure you I'm sure you hear it too in your practice mm -hmm. and, and in the, the many people in facilities and, and treatment centers where you work, people think that the medication is, that's making people worse or that's make, driving people to extreme behavior. But you're saying in a lot of cases that can be the thing that keeps them alive and helps them get into a healthier path. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the benefits in many cases outweigh the risks. And so we understand that with all medications. Again, we don't want to single out mental health medication, right, or psychotropic medication, and that there's many medications that we take for all diseases that the benefits must outweigh the risk. But we do know there's certain medications that can heighten suicidal thoughts, and so I don't want to minimize that. And, and, and so, let's talk about that. we got to take a short right, break. Okay. We'll, get it, we'll get into that a little bit more, too. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about myths and realities of mental health. We'll be right back. Yo, yo, what's yo, up? Yo, this what's is up? me, DMC, in a place to be, and the only place for you to ever be is right here listening to Lisa Evers on Street Soldiers. Rah! Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Before we get back to our panel, I want to let you know about our 8th annual Push for Peace Town Hall show for the first time ever in Queens at JPAC, that's Jamaica Performing Arts Center, Saturday afternoon, July 14th. So save the date and we'll see you there. Now back to our topic, mental health, myths, and realities. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about mental health, the myths, and the realities. Joining me for this conversation, Everett McCain. He's a retired Port Authority Police Department Emergency Service Unit Sergeant, first responder in many crises all around the tri-state area. His daughter, Annalise, took her life almost six years ago. She was a college student, and now he's trying to bring more awareness to this issue. Everett, great to have you with us Thank on the you show. For having me here. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Elisa English. She's a clinical therapist and mental health expert. Dr. Elisa, great to have you with us. 
And also joining us, Lawrence Hines. He's a mental health advocate, and he sought treatment himself for depression, and he's also a branding and marketing consultant. Lawrence, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Everett, in terms of the in terms of the drug issue, in terms of these, you know, prescription drugs that are that are given, was there any involvement with that with your daughter? Well, we found out after she passed. Um, her mom went to clean out her apartment because she had an apartment. And she found out she was taking medication for depression. We didn't know she was on this medication. It was news to us. Um, she did talk to the doctor that prescribed the medication for her and ask her questions about it. Do you think that, you know, maybe something with the medication could have caused this? And the doctor said no, but I mean, that's the answer we'd probably expect. But it was a shock to find out that she was even taking this medication. Taking the medication. Dr. Lisa, what about that? I mean, yeah. Because you said some, some medications, right. they say suicide is a, I mean, that's a terrible, yeah, yeah, terrible that, consequence. Yeah, and the benefits should outweigh the risk. So if her depressive disorder has gotten her to the point where she really feels like she is unable to cope, what is the solution? So what do you do? Just sort of pray it away? That is not going to help when you're dealing with that level of depression. She was at the point of no return. She needed help, so she seeked help. And one of the interventions was a psychopharmacological intervention. Now, I don't know whether or not she was receiving therapy, whether that how the medication was being managed, and the adherence level. So that all would need to be, you know, So taken. you're saying you can't just give somebody a, when, when right. they're at a state where, where Lawrence was, where they're, they're in extreme distress, stress. You can't just give them a prescription and then, Leave you know, them, let them come go. see me no, in 30 days. No, that's or not come how see it me works. In two you weeks. should be you monitoring have to have therapy weekly. too. Yes. Lawrence, is that what, tell us, tell us a little bit about what you went through so, to try uh, to get healthy. Yeah, so uh, when I started, and, and this is kind of like, uh, just to give you a little bit of clarity on uh, maybe what your daughter was going through, is that when you take a, a, a psychotropic uh, drug, it's not like taking Tylenol. It doesn't take away the depression. Mm -hmm. It it will minimize it to help you to help you function better or see that clarity that you seek. But when I started on my journey with it, my first one they gave me, uh, it, it, it was more like a sedation. So I was like, okay, well, and, and the thing about it is, is my doctor said, well, you have to take this for at least seven days so we'll know how it inter interacts. Mm -hmm. So in that seven days, I was at home, homebound, in a daze, and I was like, "No, this is not going to work." Um, like high, or just like no, just, just like, like I was just, just like numb, just, just like numb, numb, and yeah. just staring at the wall. Mm -hmm. I would sit in a chair, stare at the wall, go to sleep, wake up, stare at the wall, go to sleep, and that was that was what I did for seven days. Wow, uh, there then, was no quality of life. Yeah, so right. there was no quality of life. So then I went back. He said, "Okay, well now we're going to lower the dosage." So then they lowered the dosage. I didn't sleep as much, but I was still in the daze. But then also in the midst of that, it's still that wanting to be free from it. So it's like, even though I'm taking, so it's like I'm taking this antidepressant that's supposed to be helping me, but I'm so tired of being depressed. It's like- And now you're just tired. Now you're just tired, it's like, okay, now I gotta go through this. Okay, that one didn't work for seven days. Okay, now I gotta go through this. Okay, now that one doesn't work. Then I finally got on the third one that helped but then they had to to okay well let's let's raise the dosage mm -hmm. on this one so so mm -hmm. i actually went through three antidepressants before i actually found out the one that would help me mm -hmm. the way i needed it to help me right and then yeah. were you able to function after that like you eat we working were you you know t what were yeah, you able so, to so when you I, go so out and do you know do stuff 
Yeah, so with that one, uh, that one just, it, it, it was the first leg of getting better. Right. Uh, because along with my antidepressants, I, uh, my antidepressant, I was also going to therapy, which was a major help. So mm -hmm. I would tell anybody that if you're taking an antidepressant, therapy along with it will Let's help combine. you absolutely so much because there, there are things in therapy that you will find out not just about you but also because like one thing I was I was going through therapy and I didn't even realize I was getting better until my therapist said well do you realize 30 days 60 get 60 days ago this is how you were thinking mm -hmm. this is how you but now look at you now yeah. so it gave you a good a, like a progress it gave me a progress report and then also another thing with taking an antidepressant you, I would tell anybody, add when I say add exercise, it doesn't it doesn't have to be like going to the gym. Just add okay. exercise. Just walk. Yep. Just walk. go out, walk, go jogging, mm -hmm. get with friends or mm -hmm. family members. Just say, hey, let's let's go walk. Get as much vitamin D. Like when I tell you vitamin D yeah. in the, the sun, sun yeah. from the sun helps a lot. And they so, also recommend yeah. taking it when you're actually on most medications, yeah. whether it's psychotropic or not. But I want to go into this whole piece around therapy because I think that's really important and critical to the conversation. The fact of the matter is oftentimes we believe, you know, government and those in power care about mental health. No, they don't care about mental health. They care about mental health when it's convenient, like mass shootings. Then we know that most people who are mentally ill aren't necessarily violent, they're victims. That's a so big that's stigma, I'm glad you're bringing that up. for us to, to point out. Secondly, you know, the reimbursement rates from both Medicaid, which is the low income insurance, and those that are related to commercial insurance are so low, they're criminal. And so that being said, it's very difficult for poor people to access quality services. They know about services, but when they go in with a Medicaid card, someone like me, I don't accept that. So you are, Sort of, you gotta take whoever you can right, get. You're right. pigeonholed to clinics and, and facilities and places that accept very low cost insurance. And usually, you're seeing people who are in training or trying to pursue their license and credits and things like that. And you're not necessarily engaging in a quality service or product. somebody that has experience or treating someone, it, right? right treating, treating a disorder, absolutely. So, I, I think that's important that you know, therapy is it's always thrown out there, but someone has to pay for it, right? That's the key. Like, someone has to pay for it. It's not free. So how do we do that? Government should respond. And they haven't increased Medicaid reimbursements for people who need um, uh, mental health talk therapy in the last 30 years. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's criminal. And so you want someone to sit with a client for 45 to 50 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of, they're then sort of traumatized through vicarious trauma, right. dealing with everything that they hear. And then you only want to give them $40 for that. An hour, like that's the reimbursement that's a, rate. That's, a, it's that's an a whole part of it, and, and people. It's like a lot of other issues need to put our money where our mouth is. But I think that's a good stigma mm -hmm. to, to talk about is the, the violence piece of it too, mm -hmm. because we hear, um, you know, we hear Everett a lot of cases with these mass shootings. That, you yeah. know, the, the person, the shooter, had mental health issues. Right. So then that makes everybody, a lot of other people, afraid to even get involved with that because they don't want to be considered violent when that's like a small percentage. Yeah, very small percentage. And in fact, many people who are convicted for murder are never like sort of given like 
no sentence because they were mentally ill. In fact, the judges don't necessarily recognize mental illness as a reason to commit suicide. You under—I'm sorry, homicide. Right. You know right from wrong when you're mentally ill. So no, I think it's it really does mental ill people a disadvantage, a disadvantage by sort of putting stigmatizing them that everyone who is violent is also mentally ill. And, then, That's and yet we right. see what's going on in the streets, Everett. The you know we see the K, the K two crisis. We see people who have mental health issues and then they're mixing with drugs and alcohol. When you were with the Port Authority Police Department and you're responding to these most extreme cases yeah. in uh, New Jersey and New York, was that a factor that you saw a lot, like alcohol or drug use combined with people who obviously had, had serious problems? Well, I've only come across maybe one or two situations with that, especially with that K-12. They become very violent when you're trying to restrain them and get them to the hospital. They're very tough to handle. But one thing I'll say with the hospitals, and a lot of times it seems like it's a revolving door when you send somebody That's to a hospital mm -hmm. who needs help. Because yeah, we've yeah. sent people, you know, when we get a call for a person yeah. and then we try to, we send them to the hospital the way we send them. Some of these people come out the very next day. Mm -hmm. Or I've had cases <laughs> where somebody was in a hospital in the morning, at night they were out at a hospital. Mm -hmm. So and what you kind of help did they again, get? Or you get them no, I mean, another you, call. You talked. Oh, we, I was just in a hospital this morning, or I was just in a hospital yesterday. And these are did people, they get help right? within four hours, yeah. eight hours, twelve hours, or twenty-four hours, and now they're back out on the street? This, I think that's impossible. Yeah, I, mean, I, I fact, think we're seeing that. Yeah, but you know, substance-induced uh, psychosis is very popular. Let's so, talk about you know, this. Let's yeah. talk about this. The the drug and alcohol component. Right. Is that a when you when you look at the whole scope? Did, were you involved with drug or alcohol issues, Lawrence, at that time? No. When you no. Nope. Not at all. Not not at all. Mm -mm. Is that is that Dr. Lisa? Is that common? Oh yeah, that, absolutely. That people like, like we saw with Anthony Bourdain. He said, "Never a day goes by I don't think about heroin." Yeah. Well, substance use or induced psychosis is absolutely popular when you think about K2 and any other drug that can cause hallucinations and delusions. Absolutely. It's almost mimic schizophrenia. And so, yeah, people like that, you can't even, and then you have people who are resistant to certain psychopharmacological, you know, I'm sorry, they're resistant to the pharmacological interventions. And so you mix drugs and pharmacology is like, it's a disaster, you know? These people are just walking around not really getting the help that they need. Right, exactly. Right. And then just it just becomes like a, a downward spiral right. the whole way. All right, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about mental health, the myths, and the realities. We'll be right back. Yo, Safari checking in live, and you know that outside is cold weather. Nobody else do it better, and she don't do cheap leather. That's why I'm here rocking with Lisa Evers. Street! Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about mental health, the myths, and the realities. Joining me for this conversation, Everett McCain. He's a retired Port Authority Police Department Emergency Service Unit Sergeant, first responder. His daughter, Annalise, took her life almost six years ago while she was in college, and now he's trying to raise awareness and help save other lives. Everett, great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Dr. Elisa English. She's a clinical therapist and mental health expert. Dr. Lisa, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Also with us is Lawrence Hines. He's a mental health advocate. He sought treatment himself for depression, and he's also a branding and marketing consultant. Lawrence, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the age group. Is there a certain age group with, with some mental health diseases where it manifests? Because I've heard this 
you know, 19, 20 years old, that that's a critical point. You said you were 19 or you were... I was 19 yeah. when my first uh, suicide attempt. Yeah. Right. So is that is, is that a normal age or is it... Well, research suggests that young black boys, usually between the ages of, say, 11 and 16 or so, have a high rate of suicide. But then there's also white males over 60 um, have also a high rate of suicide. And so a lot of it has to do with isolation and loneliness. And so I think that's important for everyone, that you have a support system, people that you can talk to, people who you can connect with when you're feeling like things are just not going well for you, you're having a difficult time coping with a particular situation. Now, this, this Center for Disease Control, the CDC, uh, CDC mm -hmm. study came out, and within different demographic and racial and ethnic groups mm -hmm. and age groups, there's, you know, variations with the number, but they said basically across the board, right. it's been it's been increasing mm -hmm. for, every, mm -hmm. every, mm -hmm. for every single group. Why do you think that is, Lawrence? I think, honestly, I think that social media has a lot to do with it. Uh, I think that... Uh, uh, frankly, the news actually also has a lot to do with that as well because uh, people is people don't understand um, the more you give your attention and your mind to something, the more influence it has. Uh, even coming from a marketing standpoint, like people don't really understand when it comes to marketing, marketing a great campaign tells you what you want and tells you what to do subconsciously. And people don't understand it. So when you're constantly looking at, you know, you're constantly on Instagram, you're constantly looking at all this negative feed, like that actually, you're ingesting that. And that actually can affect your mood. Because there's a study that shows uh, that the longer you stay on social media, it, it can cause you to be, become depressed. Mm-hmm. And also, cause, and also, you're disassociating from your own actually living your, your own, own life. Yeah, 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 your yeah, own so life. True. What do you think, Everett? Have you, have you seen this, the Netflix show, 13 Reasons Why? No. It I've must be, but do you think shows like that, Dr. Lisa? Do you think that do you think that helps? Do you think that glamorizes it? No, I you know I have a little <laughs> concern about when we use like media and all these sort of things that like all of a sudden sort of make someone suicidal. Like, I mean, you have people who are really poor dealing with all sorts of things they have never thought about you know, killing right. themselves. So right. that really has nothing to do with it. I think if you're predisposed, there's also hereditary and genetic factors that play a role in actually um, suicide completion, because I think all people have thought about it, right? Like when you're depressed and sad, oh God, I don't want to be here anymore. But to complete a suicide is a very difficult thing to do. So that being said, I don't think that it really influences a suicide, but I do think it, you know, media and that kind of thing influences, has an impact on depression. But is there is there usually a precipitating event, or is there like some yeah, immediate crisis or something? It's a relationship. I can say, based on what I know, it's either some kind of relationship that failed or hasn't worked out for the person, or some kind of self, I don't want to use the word self-esteem, I think it's loosely, it's used a bit, little, a bit too much, like it's too loosely, but I think you know, feeling like you're less than for whatever reason, um, um, and for some reason, you feel like you just don't want to be here because no one wants you, no one likes you, no one wants to connect with you. Yeah. That, I mean, I know it sounds so sim simple, like, no, it can't be that. Anyone can find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a lover or whatever. No, it's not that simple. And when it's, you it's, care it's about more, people, it's more, it's more fundamental. Yeah. What, what about that? Well, I mean, I'm not without going to a lot of details. I know my daughter at times, you know, I said, well, why don't you hang out with your friends? I'm, well, they're not my friends. And I'm like, you have to have friends. When she passed, you should see how many people came out of the woodwork 
and was so upset that she was gone. I mean, girls from her sorority at her wake and funeral were crying their eyes out. People were so touched by her. I mean, she has a legacy page. And even to sometime this year, someone wrote on a legacy page. There was one person in particular who, she was in an internship that summer, because she died during the summer, who talked about how she really touched her and helped her. So she didn't realize that a lot of people were going to miss her when she did this. And she touched a lot of lives in her short 20 years. So. And was there, was there, now that you look, you know, as you found out more, and, and please stop me if this is too painful for What's you, that? was there, were there boyfriend or relationship well, issues that you, that she was going through? there was an issue that we think, I think, with a boyfriend that triggered her actions. Boyfriend of a very, very, very short period of time. I mean, you're an ex-police officer, and you're yeah. used to taking situations and kind of like, putting two and two yeah. together and figuring out what really, really happened. Yeah, but we believe, and I'm in my heart, I know something happened with her and a boyfriend probably the night before. And, and just drove her to just despair. drove her over the edge, so to speak. Will you guys jump in, please? Uh, just to, to kind of speak on what you just said how, about how she has a legacy page and how many people came out. Uh, one thing that, and this is something that I even expressed in therapy uh, years ago, is that I was living in New York, and I still felt invisible. Mm. I was going to church, I was interacting with church, and I still felt invisible. Uh, because it's, I think it's a thing when you are dealing with depression and people don't really understand, or, and I'm not saying you, I'm just saying people in general, or don't try to understand, uh, that is what makes you invisible. And then when you go to, because I went to friends, um, and when I look at back at it, people that didn't understand me then, I don't blame them at all. Mm -hmm. Like, what would they say to you? Like, you go to them and say, I'm, oh. I'm really hurting, and, and, like, what did they say oh, to you? Oh, you're stronger oh, than this. Yeah, you're stronger. Oh, you always, you always laugh, and you, you're jokes. Yeah. Oh, you'll get over it. Oh, pray about it. Um, like, know, it's a passing thing. It's a yeah. passing thing. Oh, they you know you, know you loved, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, yeah, you say that, but I need you to understand the pain that I'm going through. Don't just tell me I'm stronger than this. You know, don't just tell me all the positive. I need you to, and when I say understand it, I just need, I just sometimes want somebody to say, hey, can I go to therapy with you? To, to see as what you're, support. as a collateral support. Mm -hmm. Or even sit down, like what, like if they couldn't do that, like what, what would have, what would have been helpful? Cause help, Not help educate our, our audience right now. Like to sit, to say, okay, let's sit down and talk about this mm -hmm. or let's, let's go get dinner or let's go yeah. get lunch or let's get a cup of coffee and, and really, and, and I want to hear what you're just to listen would that, yeah. would that have helped? To listen and not to tell me how I should feel. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Don't tell me how I should feel. Don't tell me what you think the solution is. Don't tell, like, if you haven't sat down and did research for yourself, and that, that's another component of going to therapy, is because when I went to therapy, talking to my therapist and talking to friends was totally different because I felt like my therapist knew or understood somewhat on some level of what I was going through and knew kind of what to say. But my therapist never, ever told me how to feel. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, Dr. Lisa, what about this? Because this is a question, too, people are asking. It's, it's how do you know, like, you know, because in our culture, too, it's like, it's, it's, especially, you know, you're going through tough times. It's like, just keep, you know, just stick to it. Don't give up. Keep going. You know, this will pass. This, mm -hmm. mood, this mood will pass. It's like, how should you respond when a, a friend or a family member comes to you with something like this and says, I'm just, I'm, I'm really down and I can't shake it? 
That's a good question because I think most of us are dealing with some kind of stress and trying to understand our triggers and how to cope. And so we, not everyone has the same level of coping ability or the, you know, the wherewithal to get through things. Right. I think um, one of the things is just to support their process and sort of listen to them and encourage that it's okay to seek help. Like if someone came to you and said, I feel chest pains, you wouldn't say, well, let's just come over, let me pump your chest. Right. Let's you just open the window and get some fresh air, right? Right? I mean, like with mental illness, it seems like we sort of figure out some other kind of way to work right. around it. No, it's not that it's a serious disease and it should be taken that way, it should be respected, and we should respond accordingly like but where we would do. do you draw, but how, how do you tell between some, somebody loses their job or somebody has breaks up with a, a breaks breaks up with a mm -hmm. loved one, a death of a close family trigger. member or a close friend, our friend murdered, some, something trigger. like that happening. Mm -hmm. So how do you, like where where do you say, okay, these are, uh, it's a human response to feel sad after those things happen to you, but where do you kind of draw the line or, or, or put up the red flag and go, wait a minute, this has gone too far. Like, how do you know it's gone too far and you need help? That's the my question. The individual knows when it's gone too far. Yeah. Trust me, when you're in tune with yourself and your triggers and your ability to cope, you know when it's at that point where there's no return at this point. Yeah. And so at that point, I don't even think it's important to call a friend. I think it's now, let me go in, let me go to see and get some, some help. Get some, get some serious help. Yeah. yeah, some serious help. Okay, all right. We're going to take, take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about mental health, myths, and realities. We'll be right back. New York City, it's Miguel, and you're tuning to the Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real people, real issues, and real politics. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about mental health, the myths, and the realities. Joining me for this conversation, Everett McCain. He is a retired Port Authority Police Department Emergency Service Unit Sergeant, first responder. His daughter, Annalise, took her life about six years ago when she was in college, and right now he's trying to save other lives and make people aware of these issues. Everett, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Also with us is Dr. Lisa English. She's a clinical therapist and mental health expert. Expert. Dr. Lisa, great to have you with us. Also joining us, Lawrence Hines. He's a mental health advocate. He sought treatment for his own depression, and he's a branding and marketing consultant, too. Lawrence, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about, we talk about depression. Is depression the most common issue that people are facing? Yes, absolutely. Close to 130 million people have been diagnosed with depression. So that's almost a third of America yep. has depression. What about anxiety? Is that the same thing? Well. There's 10 reasons why people usually go out on disability. The top four are related, mental, health, mental illness related. So it's anxiety, depression, all those sort of so, so how is anxiety different from depression? Anxiety is like, I don't want to get on a plane, or you're nervous about doing something, or? Right, I mean, social anxiety, anxiety around, you know, bridges and tunnels and people. I mean, all sorts of anxiety. And panic attacks are very much there. They're so severe in some cases that people are unable to even step outside. Wow. So, yeah, it can be really um, debilitating, and so many people go out on disability simply because of anxiety. What about the, what about, I want to come back to the use of drugs and social, you know, socially acceptable use of drugs and, and alcohol in our society. You have, you know, a lot of drinking. Is there, is there a correlation between drinking and, and this, and depression? 
Well, drinking can be a downer, right? Right. Some marijuana can be a downer. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you're already predisposed, yeah, it can probably enhance it. Can it. Be a, yeah, and the, we, we really don't know what people are getting out here on the streets anymore in terms exactly, of drugs. Exactly, exactly. So if you mix that with opiate use and that kind of thing, yeah, you can have substance-induced psychosis. Right. And and then Lawrence, in, in terms of your in terms of your progress, in terms of your your health, your 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 journey to be, you know, as healthy as possible and pursue your career in, in branding and marketing and everything. The um, how did you did you stop therapy at a certain point? Do you have to go? Do you go back periodically? Or no, no, no. Tell I, us what tell us tell us what 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 continued to happen. So this is this is I, so I have um, uh, I forgot, it, it so mine's is is. It's with me for life, right? Basically, uh, so I go to therapy every week. Uh, I do take an antidepressant, uh, but I am currently with with along with my psychiatrist and my therapist, trying to find a way to if there if there's if it's possible for me to come off my antidepressant to go holistic because I'm all about being holistic. So, but again, that's along with conversations with my therapist and my psychiatrist. So along with my antidepressant, I also have increased my exercise. It's even I've even changed some uh, some of the foods I eat. Yes. Like your food, some people don't understand, like some of the food you eat can min, uh, minimize the feelings of depression. Some can increase it. Like what did you change in your diet? Because you uh, look very healthy and, mm -hmm. and glowing here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one thing I honestly did is I honestly increased my uh, my vegetable intake mm -hmm. and also water. Mm -hmm. Like those, when I say increased, I was like, I am, I make sure, like, look, eight glasses minimum a day before I have anything else. Until I drink my eight glasses, I can't have any juice. I can't have anything else. Uh, so that's number one thing. Uh, vegetable, uh, like my my fruit, I try to get as fresh fruit and like bananas actually help a lot. Uh, which I I sat down when I get, when I had my moment of clarity, I sat down and I went to the computer. I was like, okay, and I literally Googled what foods are good for depression. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are articles, mm -hmm. there's recipes where, and I just took those and started implementing them in it because I I wanted that clarity to to widen so it's yeah. like I was taking my antidepressant I had a, 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 a window but I wanted that window to continue to grow as much as possible right I mean a plant-based diet is excellent deep breathing mm -hmm. yoga meditation there's all sorts of alternative treatment um, modalities that I think are extremely helpful that people can practice we every can't day. just go cold turkey like off no, oh, no, no, no. stop Absolutely the therapy not. stop this and no, let me no, have like a green juice way and go you um, stop like your high blood pressure medication right, right? you can't right. do that but I think it's also important to have healthy relationships I honestly can't you know stress that enough that healthy relationships are extremely important and that I don't necessarily mean you know interpersonal I mean fam family relationships colleagues peers I mean that's so important because it they it's usually a trigger I'm uh, telling you yeah. a relationship some kind of failed it's situation like the main, is, is, is a like trigger the main thing. for something that someone has already been predisposed to yeah and and then true. the ever when you um you know you've been involved with a community of, of parents who've gone through the same similar loss as you and also that you, you you're seeing this issue what are you what are you seeing now are you seeing more awareness are you seeing more people trying to you know trying to prevent this tell us about that well I mean I think you're seeing more right now because you have the celebrity aspect going on right raising awareness right. which is but good in general a lot of times people don't want to talk about this stuff they kind of want to I don't know walk around with blinders on like it, the problems don't really exist right but you know 
from you, we've talked, and you know, I participate with the uh, walks every year to raise awareness, raise money, and mm -hmm. for suicide prevention. Suicide every year, I do it now. For the last, I don't know, three, four years, I've been doing this. And the federal budget hasn't changed for suicide prevention in the last thirty years. Not that I'm just talking on what the government yeah, no, should do to help. It, again, to it's, like, it's like listen, we crisis, can only just, but right. I mean, we can only do so much as right. a show mm -hmm. in a program is is to just to right. raise awareness. But let me let's just look for a minute at, at the case with Anthony Bourdain because here's somebody you, you talk about relationships. Mm -hmm. He had he had a, a girlfriend. He had a close friend that he worked with, who was who was with him the night before, traveling with him. The uh, the French chef. He, he had a great career. He had a lot of adulation. He had a lot of people around him. He was in a very people-oriented business, and yet he apparently took his took his own life. So how does that? You know, there seemed to be a lot of intact relationships there. Had an eleven. Had a daughter too. Does that? Do you know that they were intact? Well, I mean, okay, well, I, I see right. what you're saying. Yeah. It's <laughs> right. like so. So Robin Williams. I mean. We learned that his marriage was not intact. In right. fact, he was in the house dead for hours before she even recognized, noticed that he wasn't in the room with her. So, I mean, you know, 12 hours passed, you didn't notice. So you're saying he, you can't you can't judge by looking on the outside, right? At all. And people are really have a high tolerance for toxic relationships, also for whatever reason. And then also, even if the everything you stated is is factual. Again, when you're going through it, you, you can alone. still feel alone. Like you mm -hmm. can have everything and still feel invisible, and you can still feel uh, feel alone. Because uh, even in my moments, even though I live in New York, I have a great support system from the South, where my, I talk to my best friends sometimes every day. It doesn't go a week. I only talk to them at least four times a week. So you know, even having that support and they know everything about me. Right. I still feel. Invisible, even though I had a had support coming from the church that I now go to. Because you're not seeing clearly, and you're not right. feeling clearly, right? Because you don't feel like people understand. Because when you do talk about it, or you do, because the thing about it is, like, when I was at my, one of my lowest moments, it took a lot for me to come to somebody and talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. But if I started about the pain, about the pain, right. about the pressure, mm -hmm. about about, what, and then when I would start that conversation. And then for them to immediately tell me how I should feel, I immediately shut back off then. Because I'm like, you don't understand. This is not like a headache. This, if, and if, I would tell anybody, if you have not gone through um, depression that has lasted, you know, years. Wow. Like, mm -hmm. the, the mental strain that you have. Because, like, with me, the, the mental battle that I would have, I would go to sleep with it. I would wake up with it. I would go to sleep with it. I would wake up with it. Sometimes I would wake up in the morning. It would take me literally two hours just to get out of bed to try to face my day. Mm. Wow. And so, to, so for you to try to tell me how I should feel, or you know, you should, you don't feel like that, or you're a believer, so believers shouldn't. It's like no. So, so the best thing though is for friends and family members. Are you saying to just listen without judgment? Listen without yeah. judgment, definitely. That is the number one. And if somebody and not said, say like, oh well, look, you know what, Lawrence, you got everything going on for you. This is mm -hmm. great. You don't have any reason to be sad. You know, like mm -hmm. that. I mean, that's a common response that mm -hmm. people have. Yeah, right. But see, the thing about it is, is what you don't understand as well. That's you external. can still have all that, and it, but on the inside, there's a chemical imbalance. That's right. And that chemical yeah. imbalance that's is a thing neat. that you can have the world, but right. if that Organic chemical imbalance is off, yep. Yeah. Organic factors there. You can't. And so, that. You, so just to listen to what people to listen to basically to listen to them. Yeah. And then as as you would be ta as a person who's going through it would be talking, maybe then they start to realize, okay, this is pretty serious. This is 
like they can see themselves and understand. What do you think about that, Everett? Well, um, just what he was saying about the, um, you know, you don't know, people say you have everything going for you. Like, I have to go back to my daughter. I mean, she had finished her third year of college. She was going into her senior year in college. She did her internship. She was getting ready to graduate. And she's gone. I mean, if you could wow, she had everything going for her. But obviously, in her mind, she didn't. Yeah. And, I mean, she would have graduated because they actually graduated her posthumously mm. following May. Wow. I mean, she was ready. She was there. But obviously, in her mind, she wasn't. There was something going on that made her not feel like she needed to be here anymore. Exactly. Well, hopefully we can, you know, in, in her memory, spread some awareness about this and, yeah. and other people will get help that they need before it's too late. I want to thank all of you uh, for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers, Everett McCain, uh, Dr. Elisa English, thank you so much for being with us. Lawrence Hines, thanks so much for being with us. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace. If you or a loved one are having a mental health crisis, you can get free help in New York City by calling 888-NYC-WELL. That's 888-NYC-WELL. And for New York and the entire United States, the Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. 273 talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week.